Um, and we want to just encourage you because we believe God's Word has a powerful effect when we take it, we hear it, we understand it, we believe it and apply it. And you agree, something about what God, God speaks, it's, it, it's, it's amazing what it can do because there's a lot of written documents out there, there's a lot of narrative out there, but I've, there's one thing that's lasted forever and ever. They've tried to destroy it, kill it, get rid of it, and that's the Bible. But it's still around, it still exists, and it's still alive. And it still does what it says, and we can, we can agree on it, we can believe for it. So we're going to read a passage here from Luke chapter 5. Luke was a doctor, and he wrote this passage. So Luke was no, uh, he was certainly an educated man, and he talks about this, um, this situation um, uh, that happened with Jesus. There's a couple of characters, two main characters in this story. There's Jesus, and there's a guy called Peter, and at presently at this Peter hadn't become a disciple. He did become a disciple after this, at the end of the story, but he hadn't yet really clicked in or connected with Christ. Here is the story of his connection. Here is the genesis of his life. Um, Here is what happens, and this is how it happened for him to really connect with Jesus Christ. We can all relate to those times in our life where we've had that moment where we've connected with Christ and received him and said, yeah, I believe. So this is Peter's moment. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11 Uh, grab your own device or Bible and read it, but it's on the screen if you need it. So it was, so it was as the multitude, that's a large crowd of people pressed around him, that is Jesus, to hear the words of God, that he stood by the lake, the lake of Galilee. Actually, it had several names, but we'll call it the lake of Galilee. And And Jesus saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon, Please understand, Simon was Simon Peter. He had a couple names. He didn't mention Simon here. And asked him to put, and Jesus asked Simon to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So get the scene, a little out from the land, the beach is there, the multitude of people. Jesus is probably in the front of the boat, uh, speaking to the people. Peter is probably in the back of the boat, washing the nets, listening at the same time. And when he had stopped speaking, he stopped speaking to the crowd. He said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. All night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. What the Bible doesn't give us sometimes is the implicit things, the things that aren't obvious. But, you know, there must have been some... Incredible excitement. You know, between verse 5 and 6, you know, um, I go out, let down the nets, and then it just kind of just flows straight into this catch, an incredible amount of fish, so the net was breaking. And there's, there's no kind of emphasis on excitement, but you appreciate if they caught nothing and now they're catching something, there would be excitement. Would you agree? Um, verse 7, so they signaled to the partners on the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so they were about to sink. Okay? I've never been in a fishing boat yet that I've caught so many fish that's about to sink. I know the boats are built differently these days, but these boats obviously were a little bit more flimsy. So that's a lot of fish. In verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. So out of this incredible, miraculous catch, Peter has a revelation moment, has a, has a, a moment in his life where he just realizes, man, this is this is amazing man, and, and you know I'm just far from where I should be in life. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that had taken. There we now we get a little bit of emphasis on the surprise and 
they had of catching the fish. In verse 10, so also were James and John and the sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So verse 11, we'll finish with this. When they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed in. They gave up their fishing. They left the fish on the beach. Who probably got the fish? I don't know. Probably the crowd. They got a message and, and lunch. Um, so we'll finish it there. The Bible, as I said, is full of implicit and explicit things. Implicit is the things... Well, let's start with explicit. You can read this passage and you can see the explicit things. You can see the things that are observable. There's two people, Peter and, and Jesus mainly in this story. Explicit things that are things you can see. They're up front. They're, they're easy to understand. There's no complications with it. Um, the, the story itself unfolds and we can see the things that are there obvious to see, explicit. But the implicit things in life are the things you, that are not obvious, that are below the surface, you can't see. And what you can't see sometimes, as I pointed out, is you can't see the excitement necessarily of the fishermen. You get a little bit of a picture of that. You can't see what was happening in Peter's heart because why would Peter say to Jesus after he's caught this miraculous lot of fish why would he say oh Jesus away from me I'm a sinful man you don't see why he said that you can't see the implicit things of what's happening in Peter's heart I can't see the implicit things that's happening in your heart as I share this message this morning but guess what God can and he knows your heart and guess who else knows your heart you we're the best uh, we understand what's happening well generally generally we understand what's happening in our heart so the Bible here, and I just want to bring out some implicit things out of this story, some things that are not obvious, but powerful to the principle that's being expressed here, powerful to the story, and even more powerful uh, to our lives, I believe. Because I want to talk to you this morning about the realities of overcoming disappointment. Dis overcoming disappointment. It's a reality for us, for all of us today. Um, we see that we face disappointments. Lights turn red when we want them to be green and we want to be somewhere. You ever face that? <laughs> and sometimes we convince ourselves that a yellow light turning red is okay to still go through. I had this person behind me the other day coming up Phillips Street and it turned yellow so I stopped, okay, being a good person. <laughs> Not that I haven't gone through my share of yellow lights, but the person behind me was cracking a nana. I couldn't hear his words, but I could certainly see his reactions. I said, Michelle, get a load of this person. It was a woman, actually. Um, and I said, get a load of this person, this lady behind us. She is doing her nana. Because explicitly I could see this. Implicitly I'm thinking she's upset. Would you agree? So there was an element of disappointment in her heart, obviously. She had to be somewhere yesterday and she wasn't there. You know, we all face disappointments. Computers play up just at the wrong moment. And probably once in our life, um, because computers are better now, but once in our life we've possibly written out a documentation and pressed the delete button and, instead of the save button and whoever's lost stuff and like had to do it all like There's disappointment. To the max, isn't it? Not so much now, I think. But, but more seriously, there's the serious ones. People disappoint us uh, in the decisions they make, and we get disappointed also with ourselves over the bad choices and missed opportunities of life. There's a myriad of things that can disappoint us, uh, lots of ways, on a daily basis sometimes. Peter, 
as we look at this story, we see that his response to Jesus would explicitly, we can see he says something, but implicitly we need to read between the lines because he quite literally says to Jesus' request, go launch out into the deep and put down the nets for a catch. His reply is, yeah, let's do that. No, it's not. His reply is, we have toiled all night and caught what? Nothing. Can you read the, the angst in Peter's words there? I've toiled. In other words, I've done some hard yards, all, and not just for an hour or two, all night long. All night long. I saw the sun set and I saw it rise and there was not a single fish in the boat. And then he says, and you know what? Out of all that effort, I caught not a thing. Not a thing was caught. And you want me to, this is the implicit bit, the thing that we put in there. And you want me to go back out there again to that place where there's no fish? <laughs> You've got to be joking. <laughs> Peter expresses his disappointment. We hear the disappointment in his comment. And to be honest, I understand his disappointment. He had nothing to show for all his effort, and it was now reflected in his attitude. In actual fact, it was far worse than that because he had no fish, just dirty nets, no sleep, just a tired body, nothing more to give, no income, no reward, no joy, no hope um, about his fishing um, abilities. And it all translated into disappointment, and that translated into no great passion or desire to go back out there again. Disappointment can do that to us. Disappointment can be a, a terrible thing. So I want to talk about it today in the light of this story. Now, several weeks ago, I did, uh, several months ago, I did use this passage, but I, today I just believe there's some real truths that we need to drill down on again this morning. And the first thing I'd like to say, the first point in regards to disappointment, if we're ever overcome, going to come, overcome disappointments and face them, have breakthrough in disappointment, disappointing areas, is you know what? I've discovered in life that you've got to own your own disappointment. In other words, you've got to understand it. You've got to just understand, why am I disappointed about this? What am I really facing here? What, what's the story? Where does it come from and how do I deal with it? It's understanding the disappointment of life. Peter gave no reaction to Jesus, if you notice, in the verse when Jesus hopped in his boat and said, just push out from the shore. No reaction at all that the Bible records, at least. Peter was happy just to push out maybe 10 meters and drop the little anchor and let Jesus preach to the crowd. But when Jesus said, hey, how about we launch out into the deep? And the Sea of Galilee could get deep. Um, it, it wasn't just a little lake in the middle of, uh, of the Middle East. It was quite a big, uh, big um, sea. It was a sea. And so when Jesus said, hey, let's launch out into the deep, Peter's reaction was immediate. You know, I've toiled all night. You want me to go back again? There was an element of real something, um, something he didn't want to do. There was a reaction. I want to say this this morning. The truth is, is that we can all get disappointed, but there is a difference between getting disappointed and becoming disappointed. Let me just share it with you. The problem is disappointing things happen to all of us. But if you allow the disappointing thing to get on the inside of you, it becomes an incredible disappointment. And that becomes the danger. We all have disappointment, but don't let it on the inside of you. It's important to understand. Someone said, you know, storms aren't that bad, but it's really sad when the storm gets on the inside of you. 
Because disappointment leads to a whole set of emotions that can really be quite destructive to our lives, like anger and feeling rejected and all these issues of, you know, fear or anxiety or whatever it may be. This is, you know, and this has happened again. And, and so we can have disappointment, but we've got to be careful that we don't allow it to become a disappointment that gets on the inside because it affects and can affect the person we are and how we do life and how we um, go through life. Allowing it on the inside can make you default to a certain emotion, whatever it may be, as I said, fear or anger or panic or rejection, and stop you from moving forward in life, and particularly in all that God would want for you and have for you today. The disappointment of some things, the lost relationships, the disappointment of comments you wish weren't made, or, or some of the things even about yourself, oh, I wish I hadn't done or said that, or I wish people hadn't done or said that to me. And the disappointment of those things can just make you dry up on the inside. You know, sometimes what we do with disappointment is we just kind of walk away from those areas altogether so we don't have to face that disappointment ever again. We run. Oh, don't want to face that. Don't want to face that person. Don't want to face that situation. I want to say that God wants to bring us liberty and wholeness and breakthrough in those areas so we can. We can face it. We can move forward. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Let me give it to you in another paraphrased version, the Message Bible. It says, unrelenting disappointment makes you heart sick, but a suddenly a good break can turn life around. So the word heart sick means sorrow and loss of hope and despondency. And at its worst, it's a loss of desire. So, but, the Bible says, aren't you glad for the B-U-Ts of the Bible? The, you know, last time I said, aren't you glad for the butts of the Bible? Someone texted me and said, you know, don't be rude. That's not my intention. Um, the but, David talks about it all the time. He said, oh, this and this and this and this is a problem. But God, but God. So in Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs says, but the truth is when desire comes, in other words, when you, re- when you allow the disappointment to be dealt with and you get back desire, it's a tree of life. Do you know you're only just a desire away from breakthrough? In those areas that have been a disappointment. Just a desire. Can I just... So my, my first point, remember, is owning your desire. Uh, sorry, owning your disappointment, acknowledging it, understanding it. See, disappointment, can I say, is not all bad. Uh, because if you own your disappointment, you can learn from it. You can learn from it. it, it um, for the sake of all of us trying to generally, so all of us something we can relate to. Some of you are really good at this, but some, are, are, you know, have had your speeding ticket. And I, I know I mentioned it again, and I did the other day, but in a different context. You know, getting a speeding ticket, you know, you, you can get disappointed. And, you know, you can get disappointed with yourself. And you, and you say, oh, made the mistake. Why don't I learn not to speed? Now, that's a good response because it helps you to say, I'm going to put something into place now. I'm going to stop speeding altogether. Isn't that a good thing? So disappointment can lead to a good outcome. And many times in life, in instances and situations, we can learn from it. Here is the dangerous thing. Or the other option is we get upset. 
We were disappointed, but we allowed the disappointment to take us to getting upset with maybe the police or we seek to justify your speeding habit as necessary and never own up to it. And so your internal disappointment thus gets on, keeps on getting caught and you continue to have a chip on your shoulder, maybe about police. or It just takes you down the wrong road when you don't own up to it and you don't face it. And that's what disappointment can do, get you into anger and, you know, blame. That's not a good way to live. It just destroys your life. See... I had a policeman once. Here's a story you haven't heard. <laughs> I had a policeman once when he booked me for speeding many years ago, um, about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Is that many? No, it's fine. <laughs> he, actually, he actually felt sorry for me. He was a nice policeman. Um, and the reason being is they had just recently changed this stretch of road in Gladstone from 80 to 60, and I didn't know about it. And I kind of indicated that to him, and he said, oh, oh well, that's a shame, but... <laughs> so he felt sorry for me. I could have then left with an attitude, I don't deserve that ticket, and I never own, my, and never own up to my disappointment, and allow it to become a default mechanism in my heart that I always default to when police pull me up and speeding tickets. Who knows if I continue to have that default and get angry at police for pulling me up and never own up to it and blame them all the time, I could end up in real trouble. So, you know, we've got to face the realities. Own it, own what we face, so own the disappointment. Um, We could mistakenly think here in this situation that Peter was disappointed because Jesus asked him to go out again and and, um, pull up some fish. But his reaction to Jesus' request wasn't really a reaction to Jesus. It was a reaction to what already was in his heart. And what was in his heart was the disappointment of not catching fish that previous night. He'd already put it in his life in the circumstances and situations. He'd already internalized it. He'd gone from just having a disappointing situation and now it become a disappointment to him. And it was there. And that's why the reaction, that's why he reacted to Christ. Um, you know, we've got to be careful. And, and we can think, well, what, Peter's just reacting to Christ's comment. No, no, no. Jesus was just the catalyst for the reaction to happen. Jesus just pressed the button, didn't he? There's a button in all of our lives sometimes, and it's called the reaction button. And, you know, um, the less we have of them, the better. But sometimes we have them, and people come along in our life and press those buttons and react. Because why? Because of disappointment or whatever it is in our heart already. And we've got to be aware of that. Uh, I, I, I drove into a car park behind Gundoon Street about seven years ago, so it's quite a while ago. And as I parked there, I had to go and take a check up to the Commonwealth Bank. And so I was just pulling the check out of my wallet and checking it. And, and there was a knock on the, on the um, window of my car. And so I looked around. I was a bit surprised. I thought the car park was a lot of cars, but I didn't think there was anybody there. And this lady, so I wound down the window. And as I wound down the window, I could, this lady started. She said, you are in my car park. I said, Really? <laughs> I mean, she said, don't you realize that is a disabled car park and you've just driven into it and I'm a disabled person? And man, she was giving me both barrels straight between the eyes. And I, I didn't, when she finally drew breath, I said to her, just wait a sec. I, this is the first word, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a good thing to say. <laughs> you know, uh, kind words turn away what? Anger, wrath. 
I said, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. I opened the door, and there I realized the car park was under a tree, and this was not an evergreen tree. All the leaves had fallen from the tree onto the icon of the disabled sign on the ground. I could, it was obscure. I couldn't see it. So I just drove straight in there. I then explained that to her. And it was like when I said sorry and explained it. So I, I didn't mean it shifted. Her whole demeanor shifted from me being angry with me to being angry with everybody. And she told me this story in anger. Do you know what they do to me? They say I'm not disabled. And I had someone, I park here all the time. I work in the main street and they put a little note on my windscreen once and said, you're not disabled. Stop parking in this car park. I said, oh, that's, that's, that's not a nice thing to say. She says, you can, you, yeah, better. It isn't a nice thing. And she just blasted, not me, but the people who, and what the truth was is she didn't have a wheelchair. She had, she had a, a, a a disabled um, leg that was deformed, and so she walked like this, you know? And so people obviously had, you know, why did she react so badly to me parking in the car park? Because I was the person who really wanted to upset her that day? No. It's because already she had a predetermined disappointment in her heart. And someone else had really angst her and probably done the wrong thing. But you know what? How would you be going through life yelling and screaming at everybody because of what someone else has done? And that's what disappointment does. That's what the struggle of life can lead us. And you know what? God wants to set us free from that. He wants to give us hope and wholeness. A power of the Holy Ghost is here. And if you'd believe with me, I believe today he can do that. Come on. We've got to also be aware, not only, of course, that other people have buttons that we push, but when we react, what's the button that's being pushed? What's the disappointment there, maybe? Or what's the struggle you're facing? Um, what situation do you have that seems to be no hope, nothing left to believe for, given ourselves to something and it falls flat? Situations from, go from bad to worse, and we sometimes feel like, I've got nothing more to give, nothing more to believe in. I've got nothing more, no resources, no possibilities. I want to tell you, today is the day when God can just say, hey, come on, I can have that. I'll have that, thanks. You don't have to carry that burden any longer. That's the kind of God we serve. He says, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. And I think he's faithful and honest to his principles in the word of God. So we have to own up. We have to own our, our disappointment sometimes because they can be, if you do, they can be life-giving. They can help you do life better. If we don't, they can be life-destroying. Here's the thing that I find with Peter, the second thing. Peter said, nevertheless at your word. Nevertheless at your word. Peter responded after he kind of grumbled. He said, okay, you've said it. I'll do it anyway. That was a good move on Peter's part. But you know what? As I look at Peter, I see that probably he heard Jesus that day, but he didn't really hear him. He heard him, but he didn't really hear him. What do I mean? Because the truth is he heard that Jesus says, go out, but he didn't, and he interpreted it a different way that Jesus presented it. You notice on this passage here, Jesus actually says, he says, you know, the truth is, just launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Jesus was saying, this is your part. Sail back out there, let down the nets, the fish will be there. There's a miraculous catch waiting for you. It's all, it's all set up. In actual fact, when I've spoken this word, I've already set it up. The fish are waiting. They're going to be disappointed if you don't turn up, Peter. 
Jesus has set up this miracle situation. I want to tell you, he's waiting for you to give over the disappointment so he can just set up the miracle situation for you. But what Peter heard was this. Go out there? Fish? Again? I've got, to, I've got to toil for the fish. I've got to find. There's no fish. I've been there all night. I can't. I didn't catch them last night. Why are they going to be there this morning? It, I don't want. That's hard work. I am tired. I got dirty nets. There was a lot of things that Peter heard. One thing Jesus was proclaiming another. And so often we've got to we've got to understand when we read His Word, when we get a promise from Him, or we get a truth from Him, or someone brings a word of encouragement to our hearts. Please don't filter it through the disappointment in your life, but listen to it afresh and anew, and hear what God is saying. Because what you think on will either give you life or destruction. That was a good point, James. Thank you, James. Because I want to tell you, Romans 10, 17 says this. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You know, there's something I'd add in there, but, but hearing kind of covers it. Faith comes by hearing and understanding. Because you can hear, but not hear, like Peter. You can hear what you think you can hear, but you're not hearing. And you know, faith comes by hearing and understanding. Often if you think someone encourages you or someone, you read God's word, and you get a truth or something, you know what you need to do? Say, oh, that's nice. What you need to do is pause and then just for a moment chew on that. That's called meditation. Say, God, what are you saying here? Someone gives you a word of knowledge over your life. What you need to pause is just say, God, what are you saying? What's the next step now? What's the next truth? Because if you take hearing hearing and understanding, and then take God's word and hear and understand it, what you get is a wonderful combination. It's like a good cake mixture. It's really tasty to eat. And those things combined will produce faith. And for some of us, we need faith today. We need a belief today. We need someone to trust in. We need to, because we've got a future we want to walk into, but you're never going to unless you combine the hearing, understanding, and then, of course, it's got to be God's word that you hear and understand. So that faith is birth. And Peter heard the word. But he didn't actually understand it. Thankfully, our God is incredibly good because sometimes you'll get a word, you'll just be obedient anyway, even though you don't understand it. But at the end of it, he's got an incredible miracle for you because you're just obedient to his word. So Peter says, nevertheless, at your word. Nevertheless. Here's the go. If you sense you have a word from God or that God isn't speaking to you, or that, you know, through other people, God is saying something. At least in your heart, be big enough to say, God, what are you really saying? What are you really saying here? You know, we can take even scripture and just, oh, that's nice. It can be just something that rolls off our tongue. We're so used to reading it. Why don't you pause for a moment and say, God, what are you really saying? We can read Psalm 23. You know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll fear no evil. No, what's God really saying? He's saying, you know, when you go through these incredible, difficult times, um, you know, and, it, and, it, and it's very, and there's no light there. It's a valley. It's a shadow that's overcast over your life. And though you walk through it, keep on walking through it. You know, keep on, you know, if you just explore the verse, you can say, keep on, and God, what do you want me to do? It actually says, I'll be with you. How are you going to be with me, God? How are you going to be with me? You know, I'll be with you through those friends that love you and care for you so much. I'll be with you because my presence is there all the time. So you just explore the verse, explore the truth, explore the promise. And, say, and then you start to, it's a lot better than thinking about all the negative stuff. And then you start to get a revelation. 
It would have been so much better if Peter had got the revelation before he went out into the deep. If he'd got the revelation that there's a bunch of fish waiting there with his name on their scales, he would have had an element of joy getting out there. But I reckon Peter sailed there like this. And sometimes we go through life obedient to God's promises. There's more joy in life than that, folks. If you just take a moment to pause and see what's been said, then you can have a, wow, there's a joy in this. I'm going to actually enjoy this journey. It's difficult. I've got to sail the boat. I've got to let down the net. But, man, I'm going to enjoy this. It's good. God's got a great plan for my life. Ah, it's good. And instead of waking up grumpy, you can just uh, you know, wake up joyful. My wife sometimes wakes up grumpy. That's me. And she says, Get your thinking straight, son. I say, okay. Thanks, honey. You're my great reminder. <sighs> to break the power of disappointment in our hearts, transfer your thoughts from all the distracting voices of hopelessness and sorrow and hear the word of the Lord to you this morning. The word of encouragement that speaks life and faith and joy and peace. And then act on that with understanding. Peter, thankfully, in some ways, was at least obedient, even if he didn't understand it. He said, nevertheless, at your word, nevertheless, despite my disappointment this morning, despite all the things that disappoint me, I'll hear, understand, and act. Here's the third thing today, and we'll finish with this today. The place of disappointment in and this is one I've kind of touched on before, but I've got to say it again for people for the sake of understanding this. The place of disappointment is potentially a place of incredible breakthrough. So don't, don't, don't shun disappointment sometimes. Don't, don't see them as your um, um, discouragement or your uh, threat. See them as a welcome friend because if you own it and you apply God's truth and the word of God to it, I mean, it becomes an incredible place of miracles because Jesus, as you can see, took Peter back to the place of disappointment, which was no longer disappointment. It was the place of miracles, victory, and breakthrough. And sometimes do we go back to those places and deal with the hurts and the pain and the struggles? We never get breakthrough to come forward into a better yet tomorrow. And that's what Jesus did with Peter. He took him back to that place and said, come on, the victory, the victory. Peter couldn't see it as he's going out there, but he saw it when he nearly had to, his boat was nearly sinking with so many fish. And I tell you what, there's a place of breakthrough waiting for you through the Holy Ghost. Come on. And you know what? You can even be in the midst of your struggle and still have breakthrough because your mind has transferred from negative thoughts to good thoughts. Your mind has seen the faith that you're believing for. Your, your thinking has changed. Your physical circumstances may not have changed, but I want to tell you. And it's, and it's, but there is a God who says, come on, I can change the situations around. I think that is a good thing. That is a good thing. Breakthrough. God wants to bring it in our lives. Um, you know, I, I, let me say it again. You know, you, you are a spirit. Did you know that? You're not just a body. You're not just a fleshly thing. What do you think keeps you alive? If God took his spirit from you, I'd be just, I'd be about, you know, 25 cents on the, on the, on the, you know, on the um, markets 
uh, minerals. If you burnt my body down, it'd be so much little bits of potassium and zinc and iron. And, and it wouldn't be worth a real light. But you are more than a fleshly body. You're a spirit. That's what keeps you alive. You're the spirit of God is breathed into you. Your life is through the spirit of God. If you don't think that's possible, why do people die? <laughs> and, and yet God promises heaven. Because the body rots in the grave, but the spirit returns to that which it came from. So you're a spirit first and foremost. The other thing beside your spirit is that you have a soul. You know what a soul is? It's all your emotional parts. It's all your thinking and your joys and your disappointments and your struggles and your anger and your peace. And it's all those emotional things that happen in your life. And that's a good thing. The other side of the soul is there's a body. So you are a spirit. You have a soul. Uh, you live in a body. It's just, a, it's just a little building that you live for, for hopefully 110 years. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? With sound mind. Um, that'd be great. But uh, that's just a body. It's just a temple. What do you give more attention to? Because if you give a lot of attention to the, to the body and never attend to your spirit and soul, that can, that can be a real eye-opener when you come to the end of the life and say, what have I given my time to? Now, shouldn't we, we should look after our body? Of course we do, because it's the temple which houses the spirit and the soul that we, so we can live. But I think as, as much as we exercise and eat well and look after the body, be aware that your spirit is of utmost importance for you to maintain and look after. And this message is all about maintaining your spirit. Maintain, because your spirit, in between your spirit and your body, is seen with your soul. And both can feed into the soul. What are you going to feed the most into your soul? Are you going to feed the fleshly man and say, oh, I've got to look after the flesh, I've got to eat more, I've got to, oh, i just got to, you know, more pleasure, more lust, more whatever. Or are you going to realize that some of those things are good, some of them aren't, feed your body the right stuff, but let your spirit feed into your soul, joy and peace and the Holy Ghost and all that brings life, because when you had the spirit bringing you life, it actually gives life to your physical body too. It affects everything else. So today's truth is this disappointment is in our hearts, it's in the soul. Don't let it get into the flesh where you become so disappointed about life and so angry and so frustrated or so rejected that it just affects everything else. But let the disappointment that comes into your emotions be dealt with by the Spirit so that it brings life and you get, learn from it and you move forward. Does that make sense? So, the musicians... Thank you. Thanks, guys. Ah, oh, Lord, he is good. You know, I believe the Lord just wants to have a breakthrough in, your, in these areas. He wants you to have, and it's not through some tricky sermon this morning or what I've said it's through your, your revelation that God is incredibly good and loves you and an incredible purpose for your life 100% of us across this auditorium have faced our share of disappointments that's a reality we live life in a, in a, in a world that's got disappointments but what are you going to do with them what are you going to do with it? I would ask you this morning to say, if there's something that you know, God, I just want you to take this this morning. I want to know wholeness. I want us to stand. We're going to sing this song in a moment. This beautiful song, encouraging song. And as we sing, I want us to face up and say, Father, here it is. 
Here it is today. I'm just believing for breakthrough. So let's just sing that right now.